providing the conduit system allowed the private carrier who is building fiber to the home to economically build to all the neighborhoods. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with three fine gentlemen from Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, We're going to start off introducing them, and I'm just going to tell you their names, and they're going to tell you their titles so we can get a sense of their voice. Since we have four male guests today, we're going to try and make it as easy as possible on you, gentle listener. Um, Mike Lang, uh, please tell us um, what your position is and uh, how many, uh, I guess, um, let me start that over. Mike Lang, please tell me what your position is and the last time you had a runza. Yeah, as Chris mentioned, my name is Mike Lang, and I'm an economic development aide, and I work in the mayor's office. And to be quite honest, uh, you asked me the question about the last time I had a runza. Uh, actually, not my favorite, but I love the burgers. Yes, actually, I'll be honest. I've been to the, the this is a local chain for people who aren't familiar uh, throughout Nebraska, and it's uh, just amazing burgers. And they have this famous runza dish that I myself have not had as well. <laughs> Our second guest, Steve Uggenberger, uh, please tell us, um, please tell us uh, what your position is. I'm one of the assistant city attorneys in the city law department. I've been here for 31 years. Probably the last runs I had was the last hundred I made for myself. Ah, wonderful. Local self-reliance at its best. Uh, And our final guest is David Young. David, uh, please uh, let us know what your position is and the last time you had a runza. Hi, Chris. This is David Young. I am the fiber infrastructure and right-of-way manager for the City of Lincoln Public Works Department. And the last time I had a runza was probably a year ago. Wonderful. Um, my wife and I, the last time we drove through Nebraska, we just saw so many of those signs. It's become fixated in my head. Um, so I want to – too many of our listeners have not been to Nebraska or through it. It has a, a lot of things uh, for people um, to enjoy, Frank. Um, Mike, you're going to tell me about Lincoln, please. The city of Lincoln is actually part of a metropolitan statistical area that includes Lancaster and Seward County. Uh, in terms of population, um, our city is, you know, just over about 270,000, and uh, the county we reside in, Lancaster, is over 300,000 uh, in population at this point in time. Uh, we're a fairly diverse community, meaning that um, we have a very good uh, differentiation in the portfolio of the businesses that are located here. Uh, We're also the state capital, so there's a strong governmental component as well as home to the uh, flagship uh, University of Nebraska here in Lincoln. Uh, So certainly an economic development engine and, uh, you know, helps with our ability to attract and retain workers in our community, which is important. Um, You know, in terms of our industry makeup, uh, I would say the strengths are finance, insurance, we definitely have a uh, growing software development and technology cluster in the community, but also have a fairly good uh, presence with uh, manufacturing, transportation distribution, um, and warehousing as well. So there's you know a little bit of everything here. Uh, what we're probably most excited about is the evolution of the startups, um, the tech companies that are really kind of growing in leaps and bounds. Uh, We recently announced uh, the construction of a new corporate headquarters for a company called Huddle, which is located down in our West Haymarket area, which is a large redevelopment area that has been the catalyst for growth in in our downtown area. 
uh, we built a new arena. It's called the Pinnacle Bank Arena, and there is an entertainment district that's developed in that local area, as well as many tech companies moving there due to uh, the amenities. Well, I think one of the things that uh, we've been following that Lincoln has been doing is this interesting conduit system. One of the things that that we've long been discouraged by in Nebraska was that there's been a prohibition on um, local governments building or operating their own uh, broadband networks, uh, internet access networks. Uh, But um, you have found an interesting way of encouraging local competition uh, with local government policy uh, by a conduit system. And I think I'm going to ask David, um, since conduit is in your title, or or at least uh, the fiber certainly is, uh, to, to tell us a little bit about the history of it, and then uh, anyone else who wants to jump in, feel free to do so. But uh, what's the background of this conduit system you have running uh, through parts of Lincoln? The origin of the conduit system goes back all the way to uh, 1979. Uh, traffic engineer by the name of Varendra Singh started installing inch-and-a-half steel conduit uh, to connect traffic signals. Um, somewhere around the 80s, he switched over to two-inch. In the 90s, he switched over to uh, four-inch conduit. And in 2012, uh, we were building the arena and redeveloping and, and a, a pretty big infrastructure package in our downtown area. And uh, Verindra and uh, some of the business owners came together and kind of looked at, you know, what could we do to build conduit under those streets while they were under construction. So we put together about 18,000 foot of conduit, and then uh, Mike, Steve, and I got together and started looking, and uh, Verendra came to us and he said, you know, I've got 300 miles of conduit around the city in various conditions. Uh, The three of us created kind of a master plan for how to lease out this infrastructure to private carriers and basically pull out copper cables where they existed, upgrade multi-mode fiber that we were using to run the traffic signal. And at the same time, when we're creating this space, uh, work with private carriers to lease access to the system and pull their fiber in as well. Uh, It's been an exciting ride for basically the last uh, two and a half years. (laughs) So let me just a couple of background facts. Um, Is this often, is there one conduit? Do you have multiple conduits with ducts? Um, How did you make sure that you wouldn't um, have too little conduit uh, based on your need? Back in 79, we didn't. Um, So those areas that we have inch and a half or two inch conduit, um, we have very little space. Um, and those areas are some of the areas we replaced with the downtown conduit system, and we upgraded it to a four-inch. Uh, now we install six inch and a quarter uh, conduits. That way, we're not we don't have to pull in a Maxwell sock or subdivision conduits inside of a larger conduit. It's actually cheaper for us to install six inch and a quarter conduits in uh, the first uh, run. So that's what we're doing now. Uh, where we have four-inch conduits, we will pull. Uh, three inch and a quarter and one one inch conduit inside of that or on bridges we'll put in Maxell sock a product a flexible interduct product uh, to subdivide the space for private fiber as well as public fiber this this is Steve uh, I think you need to keep in mind too that originally and for decades we were focused on government use and government needs only and until very recently the last five or six years because of kind of a lack of competition and uh, outcry in the community, we didn't 
we didn't begin looking at uh, ways to use the assets we had for for something other than just government. Well, I think that's uh, something we see often with local governments, um, that same sort of approach. Um, although I'll say that uh, I've often been in meetings with um, people who recognize the value of conduit. And when they try to um, get others who may not have the technical background to support a vision of building a conduit system, they run into roadblocks. And they'll find that people will say, well, there's maybe a theoretical benefit of someone using it in the future. But we know that even though it has a small cost, it does have a cost of doing now. Um, did you run into any of that hesitation when you were had this idea of, of building um, so much conduit more recently with the downtown area? Uh, this is David. Um, Christopher, we did research, and uh, there's a lot of research out there that when you cut an arterial street, um, you degrade the life of the panel that you cut by 35%. Um, so when we're doing the math, it, it costs us roughly $30,000 to install a mile of the six inch and a quarter duct pack system and uh, five volts, uh, hand holds, if you will. And for us to do that versus to come in and manage all of the private cuts on those brand new arterial streets, the numbers add up pretty quick. You know, thirty thousand dollars versus um, having to have uh, the local carriers or private carriers cut the streets within sometimes months of us completing the project. Um, it's uh, just good planning, really. Um, we did have those conversations. We have looked at it. And when you have a leasing model where you're getting revenue for those systems, you can look at uh, ROIs that are in the five-year mark, and then you look at not cutting the street, the math adds up very quickly. And did you have any um, champions of this project outside of the local government? I mean, were local businesses actually paying attention and cheering you on, calling their elected officials, those sorts of things? This is Mike. You have to remember, we just really have been kind of working at you know, attracting new broadband providers since 2012, you know, there was, I think, a fairly broad recognition, and I think Steve alluded to it, that there was uh, a perceived lack of competition in the community. And uh, on top of that, also concerns about uh, reliability, diversity, uh, redundancy, and those types of things. And I think we all recognize that commerce particularly e-commerce, is playing a more significant role in our economies. And uh, so there was really, you know, the private sector businesses were a catalyst for getting approval of the project. And, you know, originally when the downtown, what we called at that time, uh, the downtown conduit grid, um, you know, was installed, we had to, uh, you know, allocate and approve funding for that particular project. And the timing was good. We were just in the process of essentially rehabbing all the streets in the downtown area. And uh, there was broad support not only from the private sector, but the local chamber of commerce, as well as the city council, which has been, you know, on an ongoing basis up to this point, very supportive of all of our broadband efforts. So, yes, it was very much in that, you know, a spirit of public and private partnership that allowed us to get to this point. I feel like I've seen a mixed record from telephone companies, cable companies, and particularly the big guys, of not wanting to use 
um, even conduit that they don't control. They'll say, oh, we'd rather have our own. Um, I know in some cases they have used it, although they've then wanted to then over time um, go back to having their own. You know, So they might use a conduit in a stretch where it's convenient, but then if they have an opportunity to dig up the street years later, they may do that. Um, is there anything to stop um, uh, existing companies from putting in their own conduit or wanting to, um, or do they have to use the conduit that you've put into place? This is David, Chris. Uh, there's no prohibition on uh, construction in the right-of-way. If you have an occupancy agreement with the city, you are allowed to construct private facilities. Um, but as part of our right-of-way occupancy code, uh, if you bore under an arterial street or cut an arterial street, we can request that you add additional conduit um, for the city for the public purpose and that the city would reimburse the company for the uh, additional cost of the conduit. And so when you look at that and you apply it, practical application of the city-owned conduit system in this area, and if you're going to cut the street, we're going to ask you to put in conduit as well, why would you? Um, As a company, uh, our local carriers are um, also leases in the system. They have used the system to support their uh, technology upgrades as they're upgrading their infrastructure. And uh, it just it makes economic sense for both the city and the private carrier, uh, whether they're incumbent or a new market entrant, to utilize the conduit system where it's available. Uh, and where it's not available, uh, when you cut the street, we will ask you as a policy to put in conduit for the public use. Was there any opposition uh, at the beginning of the project, or was this something that the um, the various providers? I mean, as a as a large city like yours, you had not only um, the big telephone and cable company that that most cities will have one or the other. I'm sorry, they'll have one of the big companies uh, for both sectors, uh, but they'll also have a lot of smaller companies, CLEX as they were called under the old days, and um, we just think of them as as different independent companies now um, providing competition. Um, you know, what kind of support or opposition did you see? from the carrier community? This is Mike. I wouldn't call it flat-out opposition. I I think it more related to concern, you know, that the city was getting involved in that competitive nature of broadband. You know, other than during the initial meetings when we were putting the business plan and model together um, in which they shared those concerns, um, you know, we just continued to march forward. And, uh, you know, we had projected having just one uh, new broadband provider in the conduit system up to this point. And the fact of the matter is uh, we're nearly full and uh, leasing on a linear foot basis. So the project has been very successful, but it's not like, you know, there was, you know, any obstruction standing in our way. I would characterize it more as concern. This is Steve. I probably would characterize it a little differently. Certainly, there was not uh, outright opposition, but there was an utter and complete lack of support from the incumbents. And Steve, I'm I'm curious legally if there's a, an issue in terms of uh, sometimes uh, if you were doing joint trenching, there's a, an expectation there might be a uh, I believe it's a pro rata share, which would be m- rather than just the additional cost, you would actually split the entire cost of the project. Um, you know, it, it, has there been any opposition to the fact that there would be the additional cost is incurred um, to the city to join in with an existing project that would be opening the streets? Um, I haven't. No one's voiced any opposition to that. Um, Prior to the conduit effort, uh, we had our electric company and a number of the private companies 
uh, joined together in joint trenching agreements anyway. So, so they already had a history of working together in that area. Um, we haven't had a single uh, complaint or or indication of opposition to the to the requirement to add uh, conduit uh, at an incremental additional amount. Often the um, institutional networks that cities have that where they'll get conduit as part of a, a video franchise uh, will have a conduit system that cannot be used for commercial purposes. And I guess I'm... I'm I'm just curious if you can tell us a little bit about, as a city attorney, what you think in terms of um, cities balancing the lower cost of uh, that sort of conduit, which could only be used for public purposes, versus uh, paying more to put conduit in and then having that available to everyone. Certainly we have some experience in the past where we have installed conduits as part of an institutional network uh, that would, that was previously government-only use, and some of the grant monies that we received from some of the cable television providers had those kinds of limitations uh, expressly indicated in the the grant monies that they gave. Uh, The conduit that we're really talking about here was put in for other purposes, for traffic-related purposes, not for institutional networks, communication-type networks. So I think we're really talking about two different things. Okay. I just always want to make sure people are aware of conduit isn't conduit. The legal rights matter. Um, the One of the things I wanted to talk about that is, I think, the, the biggest benefit, um, and that's to say um, what's happened because you have the conduit that would not have happened if you did not have the conduit. Uh, this is David. We have a fiber to the home project that is happening right now because we have the conduit system. And David, can I ask you um, to clarify that? Did you have conduit running to homes, or in what way is the conduit specifically uh, being used to enable fiber to the home? In several ways. Uh, we do not have conduit that runs to the home. Our conduit system is in arterial rights-of-way, major street right-of-way, and the issues in Lincoln for constructing a system is 55% of the city is, is serviced via underground utilities. And so for us to make an economic case to build fiber to the home, we need to balance um, constructing against aerial models. Uh, So half the city would be aerial, half the city would be underground, obviously aerial significantly cheaper. Um, But providing the conduit system allowed the private carrier who is building fiber to the home to economically build to all the neighborhoods. So if you think about each mile section being a construction unit, Uh, on the outside boundaries of that mile segment, we most likely have conduit. And where we do not have conduit, uh, the carrier extends the conduit, and under the ordinance, uh, we pay our pro rata share and uh, in the form of lease revenue, uh, and we own that conduit after it's constructed. That's terrific because um, one of the concerns that we've had in the past with conduit is that one might use a part of the conduit and then establish effectively a monopoly or you know or um, be able to create barriers to others um, going into new areas. But your um, the fact you have the conduit and then you require that um, that it be extended uh, when other carriers would extend their own conduit is um, it's a really sort of a hand in glove kind of policy. It seems like. It is, and, and the model that we use specifically is if we, the city, install conduit on a new road project, it is available to all leases on the same basis. If a carrier installs conduit and is an extension of our system, 
it will be to our standard, and it will be available to all people in the system, all parties in the, involved in the system. And we have uh, large-name national companies leasing from us, and we have uh, local carriers as well. Um, this model is pretty straightforward. We rebate a portion of the labor and materials only for the pro rata share of the conduit construction in the form of lease abatement, so lease payments to pay for these extensions. That's how we help offset the cost of the additional conduits to be installed. Uh, and it's been very successful. Um, we have um, the Fiber of the Home Project will make the seventh conduit lease that we have signed in the last um, since June of 2013, so 26 months. And what kind of impact has there been on small businesses? Uh, this is an area that I always find interesting because I feel like there's interesting opportunities for niche providers maybe to um, step in in ways they would not be able to because they wouldn't be able to afford the capital cost of building out to just certain kinds of businesses. And, and I think that's where um, our model has been very successful. Uh, in the very in the very beginning, um, we sat down, Steve, Mike, and I, <clears throat> and kind of divided the city up and, and started looking at the economics. We purchased some uh, information on all the businesses in the city, uh, geocoded information, created a, an arc map showing where all of the different sizes of the businesses are in the city by revenue, by employees, and started looking at what kind of carriers we needed to attract uh, to the city. So our carrier mix is pretty good. Uh, we have uh, uh, Level 3 and CenturyLink, um, and those carriers are really focused on, you know, really the probably the top 200 employers in the city. And then we have uh, Unite Private Networks and Nebraska Link, and they're they're probably focused on the, uh, you know, from 200 to 3,000 size. And then the remaining 10,000 will be serviced uh, by the fiber to the home product. Each carrier has their own strength and their own market that they're focused on. So by attracting multiple carriers to the system and then every extension being available to every other carrier in the system, um, I think we really have allowed each market segment to be served. Uh, we focused, we just started at the top and worked our way down. And that's uh, basically how we approached it. If you have advice for another community that might be starting this up, uh, having gone through the process, uh, what advice can you give? Chris, this is David. I guess I would give, I would give other communities two pieces of advice. Ask what assets you do have. Uh, you would be surprised. Uh, we have 80 miles of abandoned 12-inch or larger water main, and those water mains uh, go across bridges, they go under levees, they go under creeks. Those are of significant value. Um, pulling fiber through those uh, abandoned water mains has been very successful for us in, in troublesome spots, crossing highways, um, and in big bore areas where we would have incurred significant expense. And then the second piece of advice I would give is um, just because somebody says you can't do it, find a good attorney and talk to them. Um, there was a narrative that ran around our community for a long time that said we could not do this. Um, and when Steve took a look at it, there was actually no prohibition on leasing conduit. So uh, just because somebody tells you you can't do it, uh, I would ask the question and, and find a good staff attorney to work with to take a look at the actual laws and what they do say. I'm reminded that um, something that a, a lawyer friend of mine has said is that, um, broadly speaking, there's two kinds of lawyers. There's uh, those that will tell you, nope, you just can't do it. And then there's those that will say, um, well, actually, you know, if we do it this way, we can do it. 
Um, and so I think that's um, it's sharp to recognize that the first answer may not be uh, the best answer. Well, and not to not to give Steve a lot of credit, but he deserves it. Um, he has definitely uh, been the guy who makes things happen for us uh, when we run into a problem. And Steve, do you have any uh, advice for any other city attorneys that uh, might be um, asked to consult on this matter? Oh, I just tell them to listen to David's advice. <laughs> <laughs> Or don't take no for an answer. (laughs) 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 And Mike, let me ask you if you have any uh, words of wisdom for other communities that might be thinking about this. I say, you know, business relationships and getting a sense of the community needs are key. And also building alliances, much like out of the gate, you know, when we um, launched the Conduit Project and actually held the... um, oh, the presentations over at the local Chamber of Commerce and having key stakeholders, you know, involved on the front end of the project can really influence, you know, uh, your ability to get approval, particularly for funding. And, uh, you know, which is, you know, one of the keys to implementation. And uh, probably the other one, if you have constraints on, say, a conduit system, is really take a look at the, the demographics of the business community and build, you know, the appropriate portfolio for your community, like what we have tried to do in, uh, you know, the small, medium, large uh, business enterprise, I'll call it. Um, the last thing is, you know, if you do build conduit, don't expect broadband providers to necessarily come flocking to your door. Uh, There was a lot of very proactive outreach behind the scenes in order to secure, um, you know, the broadband provider mix that we currently have. Uh, Challenging to get some providers to commit capital to building out networks and communities. But, you know, you have to be persistent at it and uh, good things will happen. And along with that, having the adequate information for them so you can make a case. David mentioned all the uh, demographics on our business community in the downtown area. But also, David has done a wonderful job auditing the entire conduit system and creating very detailed GIS maps. So you can really build and make a case to providers based on not only business demographic data, but you really have to show them where the conduit's at accurately so they can really get a sense of the community and do their own business modeling. Great. Those things are incredibly useful. I mean, I think we've really got into the trenches here. Uh, sometimes people just say, well, yeah, you should have conduit, put it in. And um, there's a lot of details in this conversation that I think will help people that have been trying to figure out how to actually do it and to do it right. Um, so let me thank you each, um, Mike Lang, uh, Steve Uggenberger, David Young. Uh, thank you all for coming on the show uh, to share this with us. And uh, I'm sure we're going to be checking in to learn more about what you're doing in the future. Thank you for the opportunity, Chris. Thank you, podcast listener, for tuning in and staying until the end. That was Mike Lang, Steve Eggenberger, and David Young from Lincoln, Nebraska. Follow us on Twitter at Muni Networks and at Community Nets. You can email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. And thank you to Arnie Husby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. Thank you for listening to episode 182 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast.